welcome back to Takes by the Lake, everybody. Sorry I missed you last week. I was on vacation. I thought I'd be able to do something. It didn't work out. But we have a great one this week. This is Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com. Thanks to you for listening to Takes by the Lake. We, I, I, might, I might start adding in some listener interaction early on. I might start taking Twitter questions from you guys. And seeing if we can get a little more back and forth rather than just having me interview people. Although I love interviewing people we have on this show. And we have a great guest this week. And I already have a great guest lined up for next week. This week we are talking about Jim Brown. And here's what I want to tell you. If you feel like you understand and know and are an expert on Jim Brown, I think you'll like this. If you feel like you you know that Jim Brown was a great Browns running back and he's the guy who's still around the Browns a lot, still respected by LeBron James, still a big part of Cleveland sports, if you know him but you don't know a ton, I think you'll like this. If you don't know that much about Jim Brown, I think you'll like this. The guest is Dave Zirin. He is the sports editor of The Nation, and he has a book on Jim Brown that just came out. It's called Jim Brown, Last Man Standing. And the thing I want to I want to get across here is I am of a generation that of course did not see Jim Brown play. I know of Jim Brown in whole. I know of Jim Brown after the fact, after he was an all-time athletic great in the NFL, after he was a movie star, after he was an activist, after he did great things in society, after he had his his Terrible issues with abusing women. I know Jim Brown as a whole. Um, And I think it's very different for me and people like me. And it's basically anyone, if you aren't at least 60, you don't remember him playing. So if if you're an older person who watched Jim Brown play and you knew Jim Brown as this athletic star, and then you went along his journey as a player, as a person, as an actor, as an activist, I think you understand him and you might view him differently because you got him piece by piece, in the moment. You might view him differently than people who who just caught up, who are a younger generation, who just know Jim Brown, the total package. So he's a complicated person. He's a political person. This is not a political discussion. Wherever you are on the political spectrum, I think you'll appreciate this interview. Um, but obviously, you have to talk about politics a little bit, and Dave and I do, because politics are part of Jim Brown's legacy. Um, And it's a very interesting part of it. But I just think it's an interesting discussion for anybody who who cares about Cleveland sports because Jim Brown is such a gigantic figure. And and I think there's a very interesting comparison to be made there with LeBron James and the huge path they cut as athletes of their time. As rare rare athletes in their sport, as dominant athletes of their time, and then what Jim Brown did after that, and maybe what LeBron might do after that. So it's a little different than some of the other takes by the lakes we've had here. I think it's interesting. Again, it's Dave Zirin, who wrote this book, Last Man Standing, uh, about Jim Brown. I hope you enjoy this discussion on Takes by the Lake. I hope you're following us. Um, Follow me on Twitter at Doug Maurice. Make sure you're subscribed to Takes by the Lake, wherever you follow podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever. Find Takes by the Lake and subscribe so you don't miss a single one. 
And again, in the coming weeks, we may get some more interaction with you guys. So, uh, so you guys, we can debate. We can debate. But for right now, let's talk about Jim Brown. Uh, and thanks again to you guys for listening to Takes by the Lake. Happy to be joined by Dave Zirin, author of Jim Brown, Last Man Standing, fascinating book on a fascinating subject. Dave, you've written a lot of books. Why did you want to write one about Jim Brown? Well, you know, because it's so epic, because Jim Brown is so epic, because his story uh, and his relevancy spans so many decades. And honestly, one of the reasons was also was just looking up the fact that only one biography had ever been written about Jim Brown. Uh, That really shocked me. Uh, given how many decades this person has been in the public eye, given his reputation as arguably the greatest football and the greatest lacrosse player to ever live, uh, given his relevancy in the 1960s, given his Hollywood career in the 70s, given his gang work in the 80s and 90s to today, uh, given his incredibly stormy personal life, I was just really surprised that there hadn't been more written about him. And I, I wanted to give it a try, and it, it certainly wasn't easy. It's a very complicated subject, but I mean, it, it was certainly worth the time because there, it was perpetually interesting. I think the interesting thing about Jim Brown is he—he he clearly is a guy who I think needs someone else to explain him. As you go through this book and and write about him and talk to other people about him and talk to Jim Brown about himself. He's so fascinating, but but you seem to make a point that he is, on some level, maybe unable or unwilling to do as much self-reflection as maybe you'd like to see um, someone do. And so it requires someone like you, I think, to do that on behalf of the reader to help explain Jim Brown. What, what, what sense did you get from Jim Brown about how honest he is with himself about all the great things that he's done in his life and maybe some of the difficult things in his life? And, and how much does he maybe have a blind spot about some of his things, maybe like all of us do? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I called the book Last Man Standing. Is it, it, It's not just about the fact that Jim Brown is the last person, one of the last people from his generation of activist athletes who's still with us you know that that's one meaning of last man standing but the other meaning is that he really does hold to this ideal of manhood which is i think kind of in the rearview mirror of u.s society you know that, that ideal that you can almost describe as stoic and this idea that you don't reflect on your own personal foibles and if you do you don't speak about them publicly certainly because that would be uh that would be something that would be almost unmanly to do. Uh, you don't speak about personal pain, either physical or psychological. Uh, you play all of those issues extremely close to the vest. And I, when I uh, spoke to Jim Brown, which was back in 2014 for this book, uh, you know, the, the, the area of self-reflection was the area that was walled off. That was not what he wanted to talk about. Uh, but if you, but Areas such as like his philosophy of life or his thoughts about modern athletes or uh, his feelings about his own contribution to the 1960s or his feelings about what the black community needs to do to build itself up. Um, all of these issues were things that he was more than willing to talk about. So um, I think that's the, the best way I can answer that question is that it's, it's deeply connected to this idea of manhood 
and how he views uh, being a man. Obviously, so so much about Jim Brown is political. Um, you can't talk about Jim Brown without getting into uh, that's their whole point. I mean, he's a football player, but he was so much more. But obviously, there's people listening to this podcast who are supporters of the president. There's people who are listening who don't like the president. But the way you describe Jim Brown, it's just fascinating to me. I feel like this book at this time, on one hand, we are in the midst of the Me Too movement, which is a great thing for society to realize the way powerful men across society have mistreated women over the years, and there's a reckoning on that. And Jim Brown has some issues with that, obviously. But also we have a president right now who I think the way you just described Jim Brown, I think for the good and the bad, some people would describe Donald Trump the same way, and you get into a little bit of that, Jim Brown and Donald Trump, their relationship there's a person running this country who I think some people would say has that definition of manhood, again, for good and for bad, and that Jim Brown, in some ways, seems very much to have some things in common with Donald Trump. Well, and he's a supporter of Donald Trump, uh, and, and that's one of the things that I try to explain with this book, is because when Jim Brown uh, declared his support for Donald Trump, this was something that shocked a lot of people. Uh, because of Jim Brown's reputation as being this uh, political activist athlete, people thought that there's no way he could support Donald Trump, given the way Donald Trump has, uh, you know, bashed NFL players and the like, um, and really used uh, black protesting NFL players as, as personal Willie Horton as a stand-in for um, for, for the black athlete. I mean, as a stand-in for like a black boogeyman that he's going to use to scare white voters. Um, but what I try to do with the book is, is explain that like Jim Brown supporting Donald Trump is, is really consistent with his entire political life because um, Jim Brown has always been somebody who's been conservative, really. Um, it may have it, that, that conservatism may not have been understood, but he was somebody who has never believed that protest was a way forward. Uh, for um, for the black community that instead um, building their economic base independent of political protests is the way to go, that protest was a waste of time. And this tradition exists in the black community going back at least to, to Booker T. Washington. Uh, the idea that having specific and explicit political demands um, is a distraction. And uh, this is something that I think speaks to why Jim Brown, um, about I think about a month ago, he said that if he was running a team, he would not sign Colin Kaepernick. And again, this shocked people when he said this. Like, how could the great Jim Brown, like this avatar of, of the activist athlete, how can he reject Colin Kaepernick? But this is like extremely consistent with his with his ideas, his politics, and his views on protest. And as I try to show in the book, these views go back for him 60 years. He hasn't changed his views in all of this time. And when you factor in also... Uh, Jim Brown's belief that um, that the, the women who've accused him of of, of, of violence um, are people who are just out to get him, and you see that same kind of uh, complex with Donald Trump. I mean, you could see why there was a real meeting of the minds uh, between these two gentlemen and how they've been able to come together. Yeah, and and again, that that's 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 a thing I think that a lot of people may appreciate someone who like 
stands by their principles. That's the one thing about Jim Brown that you paint that you explain very clearly is this this is a guy who knows what he believes and stands by what he believes and doesn't really let anybody change his mind on something. And again, um, there can be, I think, some frustration in boy, I wish you just would maybe apologize or maybe realize the things you've done wrong. And and Jim Brown doesn't seem interested in that, but there's a, there's a strength in that that some people would say. Um, I don't want to get yeah. too bogged. So, well, yeah, ex- expand on that, right? I mean, again, there is a strength. I, I think Jim Brown sees a strength in that, right? And there, I think there's a strength that a section of the population sees in that. Sure. And you, you see that in the, you know, make America great again, this idea that even though this mode of manhood uh, might be something that is in the rearview mirror of this country. It's something that maybe a section of the population longs for and misses. And misses a time when people didn't feel like they had to confess all of their sins to the public and and really wreck with all the things they've done wrong, even if doing so would be healthy uh, for themselves, for their family, or for their community. And that's certainly Jim Brown. I'll never forget um, when I asked him about like what his definition of manhood actually is, and he gave some pretty basic answer uh, answers, and then at the end he said, "And you don't dance, you never dance." And I always thought that that was a very sort of um, multifaceted answer because you could read "You don't dance" as him being a proud black man saying, "You don't tap dance." You know, you don't mm-hmm. do some some some, some sort of uh, a celebration or minstrel show for a white audience. But you could also read that you don't dance as him saying, you know, it's like you, you don't let yourself be free. Mm, you, know, you don't right. you don't you don't unclench. You know, right. you don't a- allow yourself freedom of movement and and joy and beauty because that's a luxury that a real man cannot afford. There's a, so many interesting parts in this book. I have so many notes about it, but I, I, I was very interested um, by some words from Bill Belichick um, in your book. Who, who He was fearing that people were going to forget how important Jim Brown was to sports and society. Bill Belichick in your book says he thinks Jim Brown is, is one of the, his top two or three human beings. Um, this fear that Bill Belichick has, again, Jim Brown, as you note, he is the last man standing. He is a voice of a generation that is leaving us. How will Jim Brown be remembered? Will he be remembered as a important, um, rare voice in sports and society? Or does he risk being forgotten because he has this other side of him with his violence towards women that that you can't ignore. Bill Belichick's fear of him being forgotten, is that a legitimate fear that he may be forgotten? A uh, definite legitimate fear, and I think it has to do with how we look at heroes in this society and how when, when people have to have profound imperfections um, that we, we then consign them after they pass to the sort of the dustbin of history and we choose not to remember them in the same kind of way. I mean, I'll just, one comparison is I feel like today people spend a lot more time speaking about people like Prince than they do Michael Jackson. I mean, I'm not Mm. saying that Michael Jackson has been somewhat forgotten, but you don't see the same kinds of tributes and remembrances because there are aspects of Michael Jackson's life that people find uh, to be beyond the, the pale. And so therefore, 
what else is forgotten is the music. What else is forgotten is the art. What else is forgotten is whatever other contributions may have been made. And I think with, with Jim Brown, um, one of the things I'm trying to do with this book is be extremely honest about his flaws, you know, not give any quarter with that. Uh, but, but also to say that, you know, some of the things he did, particularly the work around gangs, um, and, the, and during a time where uh, people who were in gangs were being demonized to the nth degree by the society and his work in trying to say, well, wait a minute, these are human beings that we need to be trying, trying to reach. Um, you know, I mean, that, that saved many, many lives. And the kinds of truces that right. he was able to do also saved many, many lives for, from, 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 from violence. And it, it's these are things that need to be remembered. So I think we remember them for a new generation. I mean, the way I think the way Donald Trump uses gangs uh, from Latin America is one of his points of demonization. And when these are these are young people who maybe we need to be trying to reach out to and not dismissing out of hand. And so, so those are the kinds of lessons which can replicate themselves for a new generation, um, and which are really important for us not to forget. Um, and I, I do worry about that for Jim Brown, that we, that we are going to forget the positives that he contributed, which are ample, uh, because of the negative parts of his personal life. And one of, and this is why, you know, I start the book with that quote from Ken Burns saying that, you know, you can't, uh, you can't look at a hero as somebody who's like a god. You have to look at a hero as somebody who negotiates their strengths and their weaknesses. And, understand that that negotiation is sometimes extremely intense and sometimes that negotiation is a war. And I, I do think, again, that this book at this time with what's happening in society, I do feel like uh, the Me Too movement complicates the legacy of Jim Brown even more at a time when we are seeing powerful men across the culture um, called to a reckoning for their misdeeds and their abuses. And Bill Cosby, for instance, you know, Bill Cosby did a, a, a million things in, that were important to this culture and this society. And I think with what has come out about him, the, the instinct, and, and maybe it's the correct instinct, is to s sort of say, well, maybe, you know, we're not going to show the Cosby show on reruns anymore because of the person that he is. And we can't separate the artist and the person we can't right. you know we got we're going to throw it all out because of these misdeeds and i i that makes complete sense to me um jim brown it i don't think that jim jim brown's had his time uh you list the accusations of the violence against women in the book i don't think he's going to have his final reckoning on this a final public court reckoning or anything but but does that not complicate it if if jim brown was maybe a little bit younger or something came up he would be a person on this list in the Me Too generation that we were going back through his misdeeds and maybe calling him to the carpet on this in a final way if things were a little bit different. Is that not the case, probably? Well, it's interesting with Jim Brown. I've, I've, I've thought about that a great deal in terms of doing this book, um, and which, of course, the Me Too movement happening as we're putting the final touches on it and whatnot. And one of the interesting things about Jim Brown's life is that unlike, say, a Bill Cosby, it's not like all of this is going to be revealed now and it's going to shock anybody. True. This stuff has played out in very public fashion in Jim Brown's life over the course of five decades. And, I mean, and he's really, like, maybe the first athlete.
athlete to have a very public, embarrassing kind of trial uh, related around um, around violence against women back in the 60s when he was still playing for the Browns. And when these things kept happening, whether it was in the 70s and the 80s and through the 90s, you had these stories about Jim Brown and you had these stories saying that he should be somebody who's uh, rejected out of hand and he has paid a price for that mm-hmm. like in, in a slow motion format like in, in, in a drip by drip format um, like, like one of the things I talk about in the book and one of the things that hurt him very much was that you know President Obama who seemed to collect that generation of activist athletes as people he wanted around him at all times people like Bill Russell and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar you know frequent honorees at the White House people honored presidential medals uh jim brown never was able to crack that company and even though you could argue that in his heyday he did far more than bill russell or Mm -hmm. kareem abdul jabbar um i mean i don't think there's any question that he actually did more um but that legacy of violence against women it kept him on the outside of that of that bubble and so so there's so there's this way in which if you think about the prices that people pay for me too, like being um, ostracized, for example. Um, there are ways in which Jim Brown has felt that over the decades because of these things, and that he did not achieve um, as high a perch in society, anything close to really what he could have, given his intelligence, given his reach, and given the awe with, that he provokes when he enters a room. Like There is a huge gap between what he could have accomplished in his life and what he did accomplish. And it really was his personal demons that I think kept him from that. And, and that was my next question. It's just a simple question, and it's an impossible question, and we'll get to that. I've, we've kind of talked about it already. If Jim Brown had never abused a woman, if had, that was never a part of his life, what would he be? If everything else was true, but he did not have that giant negative, how would he be viewed? What would he be in American society? Um, I think he they'd be talking about putting Jim Brown on a postage stamp. Yep. Because um, I think when you speak about somebody who's considered, I mean, this is a country that reveres football and reveres sports. And in Jim Brown, you're talking about somebody who arguably is the best athlete ever in two different sports, in football and lacrosse. And when you put on top of that his time in Hollywood, when you put on top of that his time working with gangs, I think people, I think he would be on president. He would have been on presidential commissions uh, when he was in his fifties, sixties, seventies. He would have been somebody who was, I mean, I mean, his influence, his ability to pick up a phone and be able to, instead of something that he spent a lot of the last decades of his life doing, which is complaining about the next generation of athletes and how they didn't do enough. I mean, he could have been somebody who was actually organizing those athletes to do more, and he would have had the the cultural sway to be able to do that. And instead of um, what what we saw instead, which is athletes certainly speaking about Jim Brown with reverence, we've seen LeBron James, you know, bow his head to him uh, before Cavs games. But that connection, that actual influence, that ability to move mountains and move people, I think all of that was in Jim Brown's hands to have, and unfortunately, um, it didn't work out that way. You, you brought up his name, and, and, and I'm not, your book informed me a great deal about Jim Brown. Obviously, 
everybody knows about Jim Brown. Everybody in Cleveland knows about Jim Brown. Um, I certainly, I was not old enough to watch Jim Brown. I wasn't alive when Jim Brown played. You helped me understand Jim Brown on another level. And when I read it, and I asked you, what would Jim Brown, without the violence against women, what would that be? That is what I think LeBron James could be. Yeah. And what I am as much as he is a great basketball player and nobody ever wants him to stop playing, uh, part of me is excited for the end of LeBron James's basketball career because I want to see what he does for the rest of his life. And I think he can be, because he already is, so, uh, to some degree, well, to a large degree, what Jim Brown was, which is an unbelievable athlete and a physical specimen that is unlike anyone in his sport. He is the Jim Brown of basketball. And he is intelligent, and he has a voice, and he has things he wants to do, but he does not have any of the negative things that Jim Brown has in his life. It feels like, to me, the template of Jim Brown, minus the negatives, is maybe what we could see from LeBron James. Do you see comparisons between James and Brown? Oh, absolutely, and it's a great point. And one big difference is that while Jim Brown left football with a tremendous amount of cultural capital, you know, the ability to walk right from the NFL into being a Hollywood leading actor, LeBron James also has financial capital. Yep. Uh, the likes of which Jim Brown could not dream of having. So, so LeBron, I mean, is going to be able to be a mogul activist, the likes of which we've never seen come out of the sports world before. LeBron, just like Jim Brown created a new template for an activist athlete, for an athlete who had a voice in a locker room, for an athlete who could organize his own teammates and make his own history, uh, much in the same way that LeBron James has done in his own career. Um, you're also going to see, I think, LeBron James create a new template in terms of the mogul activist athlete, and it'll be something like we've never seen before. And again, you make you, for people who don't know it, you explain how Jim Brown used an agent and changed a lot of things with the representation and how he dealt with owners and did not allow himself to be pushed around. And there's a lot of similarities there with the way yeah. LeBron has worked the system in the NBA with the short-term contracts and holding owners accountable, and you're not going to lock me in, and I'm going to control my own destiny. There really are a lot of comparisons there. I could talk to you about this forever, Dave. I want to hit one or two more things. Obviously, you did a ton of research for this. From my standpoint, as a Cleveland.com writer, as a Plain Dealer writer, how did you view, you mentioned a lot of things, Jim, Jim Brown had a column in the Plain Dealer back then, how did you think the Plain Dealer and the Cleveland media of the day covered Jim Brown in the moment um, as this momentous athlete and activist? What did you, looking back and researching that, what did you think of the coverage of him? Oh, I mean, I think it's it's amazing that they gave him a column, that you guys gave him a column to write. I mean, it shows that there was a respect, not just for his athleticism, but his mind as well. Um, I think that you know, there are two Jim Browns during his time in Cleveland. There was the time when he was being coached by Paul Brown, and he wasn't necessarily great copy. And then there was time after Jim Brown was able to force uh, the exit of Paul Brown, and then he he became somebody who you know did want to write that column for the the Plain Dealer and was a great quote and was willing to be outspoken about different issues and really gained a degree of confidence. Um, and I th I really do think that the Plain Dealer um, covered that transformation brilliantly and did a terrific job of understanding that they had somebody very special in their midst. Two final questions. 
One is, and I think the main point of all of this, I asked what would Jim Brown be like if he did not have the violence against women? Um, but I, I feel like there's a point that that's impossible to do because everything that is tied up with Jim Brown, his strength, his conviction, his definition of manhood, it, it's, it's all the same thing. It feels like everything good and bad he has done in his life, and, and most of it is good, but the bad is terrible. The bad is unforgivable, but it all doesn't it all come from the same place in your mind? Yeah, it, it, it does come from the same place because it comes from this idea of manhood that actually sees, I think, women as an oppositional force. Yeah, and women as a threat, and that is that's again one of the reasons why I called the book "Last Man Standing" because it's this idea of manhood, which I just don't think is, is going to allow us to move forward as, as a country uh, going forward in the 21st century. I mean, seeing women as some, and especially women who challenge male power as somehow being part of the problem. And even though we, we do have a president who I think um, echoes some of those beliefs, um, it's, it's just not something that's going to work going forward at all. And, you know, you heard a, a little tinge of this when you might have heard, like, Rudolph Giuliani, where he said, like, I respect beautiful women, but I don't respect porn stars or some stupid thing like that. I mean, this, this kind of ideal, um, you know, it's going to be said by people who are 70 years old and over. It's not going to be said by people younger than that. Yeah. Um, because it's time is done. And I think that it is all very strongly connected. And it, it, I think it's, it's one of those things that's hamstrung. Brown from being the truly great person that um, that he had all of the potential to be, given his place in the culture, given his mind, given his ability to lead other people. It was all there for him to do. But, you know, people refer to him often as Superman throughout his life, and it's his relationships with women, as I write, which really was his kryptonite. Final question, Dave, and this is, I'm just asking for advice. People can take it or leave it, but but this is the question, I think, that it, you have to be at least in your mid-60s to really remember Jim Brown, or somewhere in your 60s as a player. There's whole generations of people listening to this who live in Cleveland, sports fans in, today, who who only know Jim Brown from, from things like your book. They didn't experience him in the moment. They're looking back on him now at the total picture. And when you see him, he's everywhere in Cleveland sports. Um, how should pe- how should a Cleveland sports fan, a younger Cleveland sports fan, feel about Jim Brown? Should they can they clap for him without feeling guilty about clapping for someone who has abused women? Can they? How you can't separate it. He's one man. But wh- what is the how? What is your advice? for a younger generation of Cleveland sports fans, 50 and under, on on how they should feel towards Jim Brown and how they should act towards Jim Brown? I mean, honest and true, I think, and this is I don't mean this to be a cop-out, but people have to make those choices for themselves. Uh, these questions of the art and the artists are very complicated ones. Um, I certainly, you know, I could look at my record collection right now as I'm talking to you and see all of my own hypocrisies on these questions. So, you know, I can say to you, like, well, I don't watch Roman Polanski movies anymore, or, you know, I don't play the Cosby show for my kids while I'm listening to Miles Davis on my turntable. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we all have these hypocrisies because 
people are not perfect and people make do horrific things and make horrible mistakes and are products of their time and also make incredible art. Um, all of these things can be true at the same time. And Jim Brown, I truly do believe when it comes to sports, he was an artist. And we need to look at the art and the artist and people need to make their own moral choices when it comes to this. Because when it comes to his art, he is a legend. When it comes to his actions with gangs, he is a legend. When it comes to his time in Hollywood, um, there's legend there as well. Uh, when it comes to his relationships with women, there's something extremely ugly. And people are going to have to figure out how they want to weigh that in terms of how they respond to it. Dave Zirin, tremendous book, Jim Brown, Last Man Standing. Thanks so much for joining us here on Takes by the Lake. No, thank you so much. And that's it. Thanks to you guys for joining us here on Takes by the Lake. Thanks to Dave Zirin. You can follow him on Twitter, at Edge of Sports. You can follow me on Twitter, at D-O-U-G-L-E-S-M-E-R-I-S-E-S. Read me at Cleveland.com. We have... uh, my third and short column that runs every Sunday in the Plain Dealer. We get it up on Cleveland.com uh, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Um, kind of uh, uh, hopefully a different look at Cleveland sports. Um, dealt with Kyrie Irving last week. Not sure exactly what this week is going to be. Uh, but hope you guys are reading that. So thanks for reading. Thanks for listening. Thanks uh, to Dave Zirin. And we'll talk to you next time.